the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, we are going to talk in a moment about the judges, excuse me, well, judges in general under Joe Biden. He's gotten a bunch of them through. We'll also talk about uh, the Supreme Court Justice nominee uh, with Mike Davis, the head of the Article 3 Project. Very, very influential and very uh, informed guy. He has um, worked for Chuck Grassley on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, was a clerk for uh, Chief Ju- uh, excuse me, Justice Gorsuch uh, in the past, so he's a good guy to talk to. Uh, we will talk to him in just a moment. We also... Um, I will, I'm going to tell you in a minute about what you need to know. Uh, the most important thing, some more numbers came out even as I was getting ready for this show. Um, so we'll fill you in on that. And we'll also talk, uh, about, um, uh, we're going to have a guest on, new guest. I haven't seen a uh, Jordan Davidson Boyd, who's a writer over at the Federalist, uh, Federalist, thefederalist.com. And he wrote a piece called, When It Comes to Oil, Biden Never Planned to Put America First, which is very timely because what you need to know today is, I filled up my gas tank earlier today. Now, I drive a minivan. We got four kids, 17 years and under, so it's a, a lot of moving around. I filled up my gas tank today, and it cost $80 to fill up my gas tank. I looked, I stood there and looked at it. Now, I will admit to you, I drive my gas tank down to the very bottom. So I got 17 and a half gallons of gas or something like that because I tend to go all the way to the end of uh, my gas tank. But be that as it may, it was $80 to fill up my minivan. And then I noticed that Joe Biden was doing more interviews where he's saying gas prices and inflation are not my fault. Now, inflation is at an, uh, uh, the highest inflation we've had in, I think, 45 or 50 years. And Joe Biden says, not my fault. OK, consumer confidence, which is an index we've we've talked about oftenly under often under Trump at lowest, not exactly all time low, but very low and going down, sinking. Now, here's what I want to say. Economies and how people think about what's happening, how the economy, how, how the economy works uh, is a reflection of how people feel about the current moment and the future. So it's not that the economy is only psychology, but it's a lot of psychology. And if you got a rah-rah cheerleader like you did with Trump, you can sort of overcome some of the gaps for example, in far too much spending. We just kind of, yeah, rah, rah, we're going to bring back jobs. We're going to get jobs. We're going to go rah, rah, rah. A lot of the economy, especially in this information age, is about the psychology of what you're hearing. Jobs are coming. Things are growing. We got these opportunities. And all we get out of this White House is bad news. It's bad news that we need to change our rules on the, the uh, environment. We need to not drill. We need to not have nuclear. We need to do this and that and the other thing and all this kind of negativity. And then it's not my fault. Biden says it's not my fault. Well, the decisions he's made have been decisions that put us in a position where the cost of oil and gas, natural gas, but oil, which is the cost of gasoline, has gone way up. We've made, he made those decisions. And here's the facts. 
one of the ways people feel worst about the economy is the stuff they feel first. Gas, bread, milk. And we're seeing sometimes, you know, 50% increases in, the, in, in bread costs, 40% increases in milk costs. And a lot of it, by the way, is driven by gas. And that's those are decisions he made. Joe Biden came in and said, we're going to do this this way. We're going to change the policies that gave us energy independence. Now, he did run on that. He did actually run on that. So the people that voted for him shouldn't be surprised. That's what he said he would do. But once you realize you're in an all-out crisis, the question is whether you'd pull back, whether you'd change course. He's doubling down. And so, yeah, okay, cutting our, ourselves off from Russian uh, oil, which I think is 4 or 5 maybe 6% of the oil we um, import is Russian. Okay, that does change the amount, the supply, but it's not 50%. It's not what got us to this point. So, again, here's my, here's my point on this. What you need to know is high gas prices, high inflation – leads to low consumer confidence. And at a certain point, you're in a kind of spiral. I don't want to call it a death spiral because it's not, but it's a spiral downward. And here's the real problem. The people that pay the biggest price for this are not the wealthy. They're not even the people who are frankly insulated by some of the government jobs. And, and, you know, they're going to, they're not going to like the gas prices, but, you know, a lot of jobs, the government jobs will adjust. They'll pay more for uh, your travel if you have to travel or you don't have to travel. And so who's going to be hurt? Working people, poorer people, middle class. And what I don't think Joe Biden understands is the president gets blamed for the good and the bad. Doesn't matter what he did. I would say that uh, Donald Trump, while he was president, got blamed for COVID. Did he do it? Things that were good or bad? I don't even know. I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how to look at it. And Joe Biden, as he's president, he's gotten blamed for COVID. I'm not sure anybody can get not blamed for COVID when you're president. But when you're president and your policies clearly change the direction of our energy costs, and you're not willing to change your policies, adjust, it's incredible. And Joe Biden and his party are going to pay a price, I, I expect, politically, because of their choices. Now, I said yesterday on the program, you go back and listen to that segment. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can listen to the segment. I said yesterday, one of the problems is the media and big tech, we've never had the sophistication of the narrative machine, big tech, big media, and big government working together to try to tell us, in this case, it's Russia's fault. And perhaps in the next six months, from seven months, eight months, I guess it'd be about eight months, perhaps in the next eight months, Eight months and two weeks, something like that. Uh, the the media, the media, the the uh, the, the uh, narrative machine will brainwash a bunch of Americans to say, "Aha! Look at this! It was Russia's fault, not Joe Biden's policies, not uh, anything else." Might work because they're so they're so powerful now, and they're willing to lie about it. They're not willing to talk about the rest of it. And so the job of we the people is to fight through that and to force. The changes. Now, let me be clear. You, you better have uh, whoever's running for office for 2022, senators, uh, U.S. senators, U.S. congressmen, uh, governors, be saying something about what are you going to do about this? Because, and I don't know what you can do. If, if Joe Biden says he's going to veto everything that the Republican House and Republican Senate would pass, who knows? 
But at least you better say you understand the problem. You better be willing to recognize the problem, specifically the impact on people, on what's happening to families. 80 bucks to fill up my minivan? 80 bucks. That's just wild. I mean, that's a wild situation to be in for us to have that kind of, and that's before we get to some of the other increases. I don't think we're at the bottom. I don't think we're at the, I don't think we're at the worst point yet. I think the cost is going to keep going up. So there you have it. That's what you need to know. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. We will talk about this topic actually with a a writer at thefederalist.com. And also um, we will catch up uh, on the other issues and specifically on judges with Mike Davis. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've talked to my friend, uh, Mike Davis, who is over at the Article 3 Project. He's the head over there, I guess, president. He's a founder. And uh, if you go to article3project.org, that's article, the number three, project.org, you'll see. Uh, here's the thing. There's a lot there, the history of what's going on and all, but the resources is really helpful. Judiciary Tracker, the Biden shortlist, uh, conversation on some of these things. And Mike Davis is particularly active uh, out in uh, Twitter, kind of pushing back and fighting back. So first of all, Mike, uh, welcome back. How's it going? Thank you very much for having me, Ed, and I'm doing very well. Um, so first, people kind of miss. I said I do. I say this regularly. President Biden is actually getting a lot of judges through, isn't he? He is, uh, and that's the consequence of uh, Republicans uh, being stupid and letting Democrats win one, and not only won both of those Georgia. U.S. Senate seats. And so there are consequences to elections and Democrats control the the White House and they control the Senate. So the only thing that will stop um, President Biden from from appointing more judges is we're at the mercy of senators like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. And they've shown to be pretty reliable liberal votes on these judges. Well, and, and I guess one of the reasons, one of the ways you can describe that is they actually haven't publicized it much right they just let they they say to mansion and cinema you're going to fight us on other stuff but on this you have to be a democrat and you know it's one of the reasons when people get too happy with uh either mansion or cinema i say yeah i i agree build back better would have been a disaster but they vote a lot for these priorities and i mean and again to to say it clearly biden ha- joe biden as president has confirmed more judges to than i think any president since reagan maybe is that right at this point they're, they're, they are appointing liberal judicial activists at a very fast clip. Yeah. Okay. So that's people are missing that story, by the way. I think it's important. So now let's turn uh, here now to this question of the new, the nominee. I've talked about the Biden, the way he did it a lot, the idea of identifying he's going to appoint a black woman, how insulting and un-American that is. But tell, you know, walk us through where we are and what we're finding out. And then we got to get to, Mike, whether there's going to be any real fight in the Republicans significant enough to do something. Again, by the way, article3project.org, article the number three project.org. We're talking with Mike Davis. So uh, where are we with this nominee? Well, tell me about her. Yeah, so Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is uh, going to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court, it, it appears. Uh, and the reason that is, is because then-Senator Joe Biden, uh, now Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and now Senate Number 2 and Senate Judiciary Committee uh, Chairman Dick Durbin all filibustered for two years the nomination of 
uh, Judge Janice Rogers Brown to the D.C. Circuit, the second highest court in the land. She was a, a conservative pick by President George W. Bush. They filibustered her for two years. And uh, then uh, when she was put on the D.C. Circuit in a deal with McCain and others, uh, Joe Biden, then Senator uh, Joe Biden came out and said that he would filibuster her nomination to the Supreme Court if uh, President George W. Bush elevated her Supreme Court. So that is the reason why we have the, it took so long to have the first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court because the Democrats threatened to filibuster Judge Janice Rogers Brown. So there's that number one point. They Democrats pretend like they care about the diversity. They care about diversity on the federal bench, but they have a 30 year pattern in practice going back to Justice Clarence Thomas uh, Judge Janice Rogers Brown, Miguel Estrada, Priscilla Owen, uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, they have a 30 year pattern and practice of viciously attacking and smearing women and minority judicial nominees from Republican presidents. So, this is not about diversity. This is about power. Don't let them fool you. There were 21 uh, federal appellate judges appointed by President Trump, that included Justice Amy Coney Barrett and 20. Uh, excuse me, diverse uh, uh, nominees, including Justice Amy Coney Barrett and 20 women and minority appellate court judges to the critically important circuit courts. Uh, Chuck Schumer voted against 95% of them. Dick Durbin voted against 81% of them. Uh, Sheldon Whitehouse, who belongs to an all-white beach club and refuses to resign from his all-white beach club, voted against 71% of them. So again, this is not about diversity. They don't care about diversity. They care about power. Um, so there's that. Yeah. But tell me about tell me about this, this justice. I mean, one of the things that, again, I, I can tell in your voice and how you're uh, talking about it, that the likelihood of being able to stop it seems the chances seem slim. Of course, it didn't look like they could do anything about Justice Kavanaugh. Now, Justice Kavanaugh. And then at the end, they lied and, and the media went wild for it. They won't do that again. The media won't allow the, uh, you know, us to lie. Conservatives to lie. First of all, we won't lie, but then they won't lie. But there's some real there's some real issues here um, that this justice, this justice to be or this judge has had in the past. Walk us through some of that. People should know about this, right? This is who she who she is and what she did. Yeah, she's I mean, she's a radical left wing judicial activist and uh, that she that's been her entire career. Yeah, she went to Harvard. She went to Harvard Law School. She clerked on the Supreme Court. She has those Ivy League sterling credentials. But if you look at her, look at her, what she's done with her legal career. She went to become a federal public defender. Okay, that's, you know, that criminal defendants need, need uh, defense lawyers as well. Uh, she defended Gitmo terrorist while, uh, while as a, while a, a federal public defender. Democrats may argue, well, she's a federal public defender. She doesn't get a pick her clients. I don't think that's the case. I think she sought him out. But even if she didn't, when she left, government and went to a big law firm mofo she has limited time you're in if you're in the private practice of law to law firm like i used to do for too many years you have very limited time and the limited time that you're going to spend on pro bono on free representation on matters on clients you're going to want to agree with them or or support them generally you're not going to go out of your way to provide free pro bono representation to white supremacists who are, you know, who are trying to lynch black people. That would, that would not be a good idea if you're a pro bono attorney. So what did, who did Katanji Brown Jackson decide to represent while in private practice at MOFO? Gitmo terrorist, right? So she provided her sterling credentials, her sterling 
Supreme Court clerk, clerkship, and she represented Gitmo terrorists all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And in 2008, uh, Justice Kennedy joined the four liberals to essentially rule that these Gitmo terrorists had a right that had habeas rights that they did not have. They invented this. They said that they have rights to, to habeas relief. And so since that time, 729 of these detainees have been released. This is according to a, a, uh, a Office of National Intelligence report published in the New York Post last year. Of those 729 released, 229 of them have returned to terrorist activities, and 12 of them have killed six American soldiers and civilians. So you have to ask, if Democrats think it's fair game to try to disbar over 100 Republican attorneys for representing uh, election challengers in 2020, how the hell is it not fair game to uh, grill uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, Judge Jackson, on her choice, her decision to go out of her way to provide free legal services to Gitmo terrorists who went on to kill Americans after she successfully represented them all the way to the Supreme Court. So that's number one. You have to look at her record uh, as a district court judge. She's been a district court. She was a district court judge for eight years. She wrote 500 opinions. She had one of the higher reversal rates on the district court, meaning it went to the D.C. Circuit. And even with the Democrat appointed judges on the D.C. Circuit, she was reversed a lot more often than she should have been, right? And let's look at a couple of those cases um, that shows that she may be a, a political activist instead of a dispassionate judge, right? 2015, there's a case where Hillary Clinton's uh, press secretary, press aide, was using his personal email to do official business when she was the secretary of state. Those emails are clearly sub- subject to the Freedom of Information Act. But Judge Jackson convoluted the Freedom of Information Act to protect from public disclosure Hillary Clinton's aides' embarrassing emails. That's number one. Four years later, 2019, Judge Jackson eviscerates 230 years of constitutional law on executive privilege to force White House counsel Don McGahn to to testify against Donald Trump. Now, if you know anything about executive privilege, as right. you do, Ed, yep. it's a it goes all the way back to George Washington. If you if anyone in the White House has the right to have candid discussions with the President of the United States, it's the Chief of Staff and the White House Counsel. Judge Jackson was reversed on appeal on this case, but it shows that wait. So, Freedom of Information Act protects clearly disclosable emails from Democrats, but 230 years of constitutional law thrown out the door to go to get Trump. And so those are very fair game inquiries against Judge Jackson to show that she's a political activist and, and not a, an independent judge. So, uh, Mike, we're talking Mike Davis, uh, and uh, Mike is the uh, founder and the president of the Article 3 Project. Article3project.org. There's a lot more there uh, on uh, Joe Biden's picks and all. Uh, but, okay, Mike, so you laid it out. There's a lot to talk about, actual talk about record and and uh, and mindset. There's something to talk about, about what, you know, I, I don't know if she would ever answer, but what does it feel like to be picked in a way that makes it clear you're not picked by being the best in the country? She might be, 
but she was picked because she's an African-American woman. I mean, you could have that conversation. I think most Americans would be interested right now, whether you're an Asian-American uh, who wanted your kid to go to Thomas Jefferson High School in Virginia, and you were told by the Democrats you can't do that because it doesn't matter how hard you study, we're going we're gonna to spread the wealth uh, based on, on the hyphenated, and you're not one of the hyphenated. There's a lot of things. But, uh, and then you bring up this record of her positions. What is the likelihood that the, the Republicans have a, a have a, a willingness to fight if only to lay the record out there uh, it, it, what do you sense so look they have a constitutional duty to provide advice and consent meaning they they have a constitutional duty to fully vet her thoroughly vet her and not vet her any differently than they would with any other nominee right, right. so they, they have to do that. Now, that doesn't mean they should be stupid and do the scorched earth approach that Democrats did during the Kavanaugh confirmation. And it backfired on them spectacularly when they lost four Democrat incumbents in a year when they uh, won House seats. So I'm not su- suggesting they take the scorched earth approach. They don't have to be personally vicious. They don't have to attack her. They don't have to attack her family like they did with Justice Amy Coney. Democrats did to Justice Amy Coney Barrett's family. They shouldn't do that, but they should absolutely thoroughly look at her record. Uh, Chuck Schumer back in 2005 with John Roberts's confirmation said the most crucial qualification for a Supreme Court nominee is their judicial philosophy and ideology. And Dick Durbin, now the number two Senate Democrat and the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman, said that it is fair game to go to look into these nominees' positions on key issues like executive power to see and, and abortion to see if they're outside of the judicial mainstream. So if we use the uh, the Schumer standard and the Durbin uh, standard, there, there should be a, uh, a rigorous vetting of Judge Jackson's record, her judicial philosophy, her activism, her ideology, her uh, her personal beliefs, why she thought it was so important to, to provide uh, to provide her free legal services, her limited free legal services to terrorists in Gitmo who went on to kill Americans. Right. Uh, you, also, you also have to look at her record when she was at Harvard Law School and on the Sentencing Commission. Mm-hmm. She, has this we- she has this weird pattern. She wrote a note at Harvard Law School about how the sex offender notification laws, when there's a sex offender who, that, who moves into your neighborhood and the, uh, and you have to notify your neighbors so you know so you know your you know for your for wife and kids know that there's a sex offender next door. She wrote a note at Harvard Law School saying that this was unconstitutionally punitive, and mm-hmm. then you see that pattern throughout her career, including on the sentencing commission. Right when she was on the sen- sentencing commission, she thought that the sentencing guidelines, the recommended sentences for child sex predators, was too tough. Right, so. There is a weird pattern of uh, Judge Jackson uh, providing her elite legal skills and credentials to terrorists who kill Americans and uh, uh, child sex uh, offenders. Well, I tell you, the thing is, uh, Mike, um, I hope that we see the um, the Republicans uh, use the opportunity to at least uh, sort of educate the public on this. I, I wonder if they will. I think that, you know, you watch the media condition them to um, stop, uh, you know, anything that will sound like you. You'll be accused of being a racist if you ask a hard question. So we'll see. All right, Mike Davis, I got to run, though. Mike Davis, Article3Project.org, Article, the number three, Project.org. Check it out there. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was mentioned earlier on the open that we were going to talk uh, this morning about the topic I was talking about. Uh, our next guest is Jordan Boyd, and uh, she is a writer, staff writer over at The Federalist. If you go to thefederalist.com, thefederalist.com. She's also on Twitter at Jordan G. Davidson. Um, I assume that's a that's a maiden name. But anyway, I will, I'll put all this up on social media and make sure that uh, you see her there. So first of all, welcome, Jordan, to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Good. So first, um, your piece came out March 9th. The title is When It Comes to Oil, Biden Never Planned to Put America First. When I read it, I was nodding. I was like, "Okay, yep, I got these details and all. But first question, what was the reaction to this from people? Did people realize what you were writing about? Did they sort of know it, but not the details? What was the reaction? You know, I think that's kind of the point is that a lot of people have been hearing from the White House, from the corporate press, um, who do a lot of interference for the White House, that Biden has put America first uh, over the last year and even in the middle of this Russia-Ukraine conflict. And we saw last week when he stood up in front of the nation during the State of the Union and claimed that he wanted to prioritize buying American products. But when you look in the oil and gas industry and the way things have gone over the last week, you see the complete opposite happening. So people are hearing one thing and seeing a completely different thing play out from the administration. It's um, that and that's that's what I mean by the reaction. I, it was good for me to see a list. You know, you walk through some of these things because I think people know intuitively like, oh, yeah, you know, these policies are not uh, the, the policies didn't serve us well, but they don't necessarily know what they are. Right. They don't know um, going through all these. Um, what's your sense of the reaction to the inflation numbers? In other words, back to this question of what people because what I'm interested in right now is how people feel the thing is going in the wrong direction, but it's not clear they know why it's happening and what to what to you know what's got us here well i think people are getting frustrated and it's increasingly becoming something that they're worried about because every time that they go to the grocery store their bill is higher every time they go to fill up their car their bill is higher and they want to know why and what they're hearing like i mentioned before is that this is a putin price hike but when you really dig into it you realize that this is something that's been happening ever since joe biden assumed office I mean, he used his power on his first day in office to nuke the Keystone Pipeline, to choke domestic oil and gas production by suspending leases on public lands. And he's rained down nothing but taxes and regulation on the energy industry. So I think people are asking questions, especially as we're going into the 2022 midterm, where voters are upset, they want to change, and they're not sure how they're going to get it unless they vote differently than they did in 2020. Uh, we're talking with Jordan Boyd, Jordan Boyd, who's a staff writer at The Federalist and uh, has this piece, which I'll put up on social media uh, about when it comes to oil, Biden never planned to put America first. Um, similar question. Maybe this is your follow up <laughs> essay. Um, what could a Republican Congress do about it? it? Because a lot of what you've said and what we see and people need to understand is just the federal government doing it. Jo- Joe Biden hasn't waited around for Congress to pass the Green New Deal. He's just done lots of stuff through the power of the of the administrative state. So what's what's the way to put the brakes on this? Yeah, well, I think Congress is already trying to do something. You know, under the Trump administration, um, we had energy independence. It was something that was a goal of the Trump administration, a goal of a lot of Republican lawmakers. And um, they've increasingly over the last couple of weeks tried to band together and pass bills to 
push America back to that energy independence. But what's been happening is that Democrats have been completely denying them the opportunity. They get quickly voted down, um, you know, not given the opportunity to do that. So we're seeing a Republican push, but because we don't have control in Congress right now, it's really hard to see that something will actually happen. Yeah, it's um the 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 question I have, and again, uh, we're we're talking with uh, Jordan 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 Boyd about her piece. The question I have is, how do you articulate in the face of the media um, what your piece says? In other words, the media is going to say it's a Russia war in the world, uh, the reason why we're in crisis, and American people, if you get that on on uh, the TV and big tech enough. They're going to believe it. It's just the reality. Not everyone, right? Not everyone. So how do how do Republicans sort of take the bully pulpit and say, hey, this is what's happening and this is what we can do uh, as a contrast? Um, We're talking Jordan Boyd. Jordan, one of the questions I also had was, how do we measure the impact on the working and middle class? Is there a way to do that? We all say, hey, look, if you don't, if you're rich, you can either not drive because you don't have to go to work. You can work from home or whatever. But truth is, everybody pays. Um, we just if you have more money, you don't worry about it as much. But how do we measure that? Yeah, well, to your first question about the corporate media, um, the corporate media isn't going to be honest with the American people. And that's very unfortunate, but it's something that by now we should know. Yeah. Is, um, they often run interference for the Biden administration, and they're doing the same thing with this, quote, Putin price hike. They're refusing to acknowledge that a gas was dramatically increasing even before Russia invaded Ukraine, and that inflation was already rising when Biden assumed office. And um, we're measuring those effects on the middle class and, and low-income families in just daily life. I mean, we're coming up on spring break and summer for a lot of people. People And there's families who are living paycheck to paycheck already because of these inflation hikes who are now not able to see their family. So people who have been locked up for two years under tyrannical governments who went by all these COVID protocols that have suddenly been thrown out for convenience are now being stuck at home because they can't afford to fill up their minivan or their SUV to take their kids to go see their grandparents. And it's a really unfortunate reality. I've been complaining in the earlier segment, I filled up my minivan uh, today and it was $80. Now I ran it all the way down to like, I needed 17 and a half gallons. So it was a lot, but $80 for my minivan. I mean, it's, you know, you're exactly right. You do that enough. Um, One more aspect of this, Jordan, uh, in, in your piece, we ended up having to go talk to not just Saudi Arabia, which most Americans are used to that. They say, well, I don't know if I like it. Uh, what really happened to 9-11? There looked like there was some Saudis that sort of support it. You know, it's not our favorite thing, but we're sort of used to that. But I, Iran and Venezuela have actually been, you know, not I guess they're not our enemies because we don't think of them on our, on our level. But they're, 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 they're nations that we don't trust their people in leadership at all. And we sanction them and we fight with them because we're not trusting them. We're going to those countries and saying, can we buy your oil? I mean, this is an an, an incredible change, as you point out, that Biden did. That's what he did. That's his choice. Absolutely. It's incredibly insulting. And it should be to the American people who are bearing the burden of this cost of getting foreign oil and also to the American oil and gas industry, because we're making deals with regimes that we tried to overthrow just two years ago and regimes that do not align themselves with Biden's 
green energy policy, which he used as justification to shut down the domestic oil industry in the U.S. I mean, Venezuela produces 500 percent more methane than U.S. producers, yet Biden is sending delegates to go negotiate deals about getting their oil shipped into the United States. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's great. Well, that, that's a very good I mean, that's that's a um, uh, a great point there. I mean, that and and, and um, one last line on this is that what I wonder is, is. Are the Republicans who look like if you if you follow politics, they're going to win the House. It's hard to see how they wouldn't, although who knows what can happen and who knows how, you know, election integrity will be challenged. Uh, you know, I don't know. If we, I doubt we'll have another pandemic, but who knows? Um, but, you know, it, fe- it feels like the Republicans need to come up with uh, the policies the, the laws that they could pass out of the House into the Senate that said, here's how to make that difference and, and sort of make that stark. I mean, Biden may veto it all, but make it clear what those policies are, not just we want to you know do more drilling. But here's exactly what we're going to do so that people can say, aha, I pick that. I, I don't know if we live in a world where you can just say I'm against the Democrats. It might be. And I'm against Biden and elect us and we'll see what we get in. I wonder if anybody's really preparing that or if you sense in your reporting that the Republicans are, are see an opening and are filling the opening with sort of policy initiatives as opposed to just sort of rhetoric or politics. Yeah, I think in the same way that the Biden administration is employing this as, quote, an opportunity that should motivate us to make the transition to clean energy, Republicans should absolutely be motivated to fight back on this. And like I mentioned, they're trying, um, but it is something that they should latch onto and use for the upcoming midterms because ultimately Americans are upset. Polling shows that and they vote with their pocketbooks and their pocketbooks are taking a really massive hit right now. They sure are. Okay. Well, uh, listen, Jordan Boyd, thank you, first of all, for coming on the program. Uh, Jordan Boyd is a writer uh, over at thefederalist.com. He's got a great piece. When it comes to oil, Biden never planned to put America first. Uh, again, it helps you, gives you the context and gives you some links and things. So you, if you're talking about this, you're not just uh, yelling like I was earlier about the price of gas in my minivan. <laughs> you have some ways to back it up. So <laughs> thanks for coming on, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and come back. And don't forget, I'll post all this up on social media. I'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. After the never-Trumper Representative John Katko announced his forthcoming retirement from Congress, Donald Trump took a much-deserved victory lap in front of a humongous outdoor crowd of tens of thousands in Arizona. Though the media rarely shows the extent of his audiences, the turnout was overwhelming despite unusually cold weather. Standing before a roaring crowd that kicked off more planned rallies like it, Trump declared that this year we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, and we're going to take back America. And in 2024, we're going to take back the White House. Trump's prediction is likely to come true, and the Republican Party will never be the same. In addition to the departure of never-Trumpers from Congress, members of the Trump administration who turned against President Trump a year ago have likewise vanished from the political scene. Prominent among them is Cabinet Secretary Elaine Chao, wife of Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who disappeared from public view after lashing out against Trump while she herself was being investigated for misconduct. As Senator Lindsey Graham pointedly asked, Can Senator McConnell effectively work with the leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump? At that rally in Arizona, Trump rattled off the conservative agenda that prioritizes election integrity, ends mask mandates for children, and protects freedom from vaccine mandates, 
all while holding China accountable for COVID and stopping the unfair invasion by men into women's sports. Trump also talked about protecting the unborn, nominating better judges, and helping our veterans. Trump praised the new breed of candidates whom he's endorsed for office, and he welcomed to the stage Carrie Lake as a candidate for governor of Arizona. She declared that as governor, she will build Trump's southern wall and stop the flow of illegal aliens into our country through Arizona. America doesn't need a Democrat takeover or a Republican takeover. Our nation needs a conservative takeover. As an unbroken procession of do-nothing Congresses has taught us, putting one party in office is not enough to see the power restored to the people. The only way to drain the swamp is to put real principled conservatives into office. Let's take a hint from President Trump and demand real conservatism. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got a segment today. I'll call it this. How the Republicans can lose everything and start a world war. That's what this segment is entitled. How the Republicans can lose everything and start a world war. Okay? Are you ready for this? It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. On Friday, the Republican senators, 40 of them, signed a letter. Okay? They signed a letter, and the letter demanded that we facilitate, make sure, find a way, make sure we get it to them, that the, uh, that the people that the Ukrainians get the MIG, get MIGs uh, and get the MIGs into their hands to use to secure the air over their nation. Now, remember what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is if you go and give MIGs to the people uh, in the Ukraine, to the Ukrainians, what you guarantee, what will happen, what has to happen, what will happen is that you will get a world war, because that will be very clearly and simply uh, the the shift, and the, the the there'll be no faking it. You know, up till now we'll say things like, "Well, we're we're not really at war with the uh, with the Russians because you know we're not helping the Ukrainians directly, even though we may be sending weapons and helping assist in ways." This will be, and and Putin has said it, a declaration of war. So, forty United States senators have demanded that we do the transfer of fighter jets to the Ukraine. They have demanded that we start World War III. Think of that. They have, they have, by the way, let me say this. Of the 40, every Republican in the Senate signed, except Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma, Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, Jerry Moran of Kansas, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Mike Grounds of South Dakota, Mike Lee of Utah, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, and Roy Blunt of Missouri. Those eight are the only ones that have any brain. Any brain. And here's the beauty of their starting World War III. Not only will they start World War III, but I don't know, 80% of Americans who don't want any more war, if we, if they have any, what they will do here is they will be told, the American people, 
that the Republicans are the party of the uh, of that you know uh, war mongering, war pushing state, and it will distinguish the Republicans from what up until now has been in the last four years, five years, an America first mentality, which is be strong, be really good, you know, be tough and, you know, scare people off. Don't give up. We're not saying, you know, uh, we're not saying ever, you know, not at all to give up your um, weapons, to, to be light, uh, to be anything other than tough, but you cannot be uh, building uh, democracy in other parts of the world and fighting for everybody. You know, we have no treaty with Ukraine. We have no reason uh, to be there. And so this is what the American people are going to look up and see. And you're going to have the Republican Party in Congress. They're going to lose their opposition role where they're opposed to the feckless and clueless and weak and corrupt vision that allows Ukraine to be itself corrupt. And now because of Russia being a bully, I'm not saying they're not, they're they're in deep trouble and people are suffering. But we're not going to get in a war over that. We're not. And yet the Republicans voted for World War III and at the same time made it clear they're no different than the other side. In fact, they're worse. They're reminding people of Afghanistan and other, you know, uh, endless wars. Just a disaster. Yeah, I'll put it up on social media. But again, th- th- those the people that signed that letter, all the Romneys of the world, all those guys, Rubio, they all signed it. That either they're stupid, and they're not stupid, so it's not that. But either they're dumb, stupid, or they don't care because they think that this is what they're supposed to do. In which case, they have terrible judgment because a world war is a disaster on every level. All right, thank you as always to our great producer, Noah Dingley, our associate producer, Joanna Spilger. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Keep praying hard. Pray on, pray on, get on your knees on Sunday. Pray hard, and we will get through this. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you next week. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.